The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bibles, open your iPads, your eyelids, get on in there. To, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to be, the, the title of the message is Purity and Power. And we're going to finish up, kind of, I'm going to read to you a lot. We're going to finish reading Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. But the message is going to be beginning with chapter 5. We're going to go through the first 16 verses of chapter 5. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. And I thank you for all who are here. I thank you for all who are listening to the radio, all who are watching online. And Father, for such a time as this, may we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, may you send that shofar blast the sound of a trumpet, a clear sound that it will awaken your bride literally around the earth as we close in on translating the gospel to every language known to man on planet earth. Lord, we thank you for the hour that we live in. What a privilege and joy that it is. And so may we be encouraged, comforted, edified and built up tonight, we ask in Jesus' mighty and worthy name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so back to chapter 4, you remember the story, last few weeks we've talked about Peter and John going into the temple at the hour of prayer, during the early evening sacrifice, which tells us it was exactly 3 p.m., there was a man that was lame, and he was asking alms, alms for the poor. Peter fastened his eyes on him, and he, the, Jesus was in Peter by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, through Peter's obedience, said, look on us, fasten your eyes on us. And so the man looking like he, they would give him something, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He grabbed that man who had been lame from birth over 40 years, grabbed him by the hand, lifted him to his feet. And when he lifted him to his feet, supernaturally, his bones popped into place and muscles, tendons and ligaments were all. He was healed. And the man began walking and leaping and praising God. So we leave off. uh, Let's go to verse 23. Because then it gathered a huge crowd on Solomon's porch and Peter preached to them and an additional 2,000 Jews became believers. So with the 3,000 on Pentecost and the 2,000 after the lame man was healed, now the church has 5,000 believing Jewish men, not including the women and the children. So the church is exploding. So in verse 23... Well, they, they arrested them. They put them in jail overnight. They told them, stop preaching in Jesus' name. And Peter said, no, we're going to keep preaching. <laughs> and being let go, they went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand 
And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, Yeshua, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, he says they had their plans, but all they did was accomplish your will. Look up here for a moment. Whatever is happening in the world right now and all of the decisions that are being made by the rulers of this world, all they can ultimately do is accomplish the purpose and plan and will of God who sits on the throne. Now, verse 29, Lord, look on their hearts and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. All right, look, you know, this is what I'm praying for. I'm praying that I'll be preaching, we'll be gathered together, either worshiping or teaching the word, and that God is so pleased with us, he sends an earthquake and shakes us up. How many, would that be okay? Not a big one, a little one, you know, just shake them up. We get a lot of shakeups here in San Diego. But verse 32, now, now look at what, what happens now. Now the multitude of these, or of those who believed, were of one heart, and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now look at this. Great power and great grace. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated, his name means son of encouragement. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, so here's this great man, Barnabas, and I love what God is doing. There's an explosion of the power of God, the risen Jesus Christ, miracles are happening, and there's a community of, you know, the early Messianic Jewish believers who are like, wow, this is like heaven on earth. This is the kingdom of God on earth. You know what? We don't need all of our property and our land and everything else that we've had. Let's sell it and let's take care of the needs of everybody. They were like, let's transform Jerusalem into a holy place that honors the Savior and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. But now, as we come to chapter 5, in light of that great example of Barnabas, I want you to start following along in your notes. There's several points we want to make out of the story that happens now. Chapter 5, verse 1. I want to put this as our... Uh, point of entry here for us to apply the beauty of generosity and honesty in chapter 5 verse 1 it says but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part 
and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, so look, here's the early church. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're bursting at the seams. People are coming to believe in Jesus left and right. They're worshiping together. They're probably meeting several times a week. They're meeting in people's homes. They're sharing meals together. Then they find out with all these new strangers that become their family, you're my brother. You're my sister. Oh, you, these people are sweet. Their hearts are so sensitive and touched, but they're poor and they're in need. Honey, let's just sell what we have. We, God will provide. The Lord will lead us and guide us. Let's just sell it and give it. And so person after person after person started selling. I mean, we're talking a lot of money because each family would hold on to their wealth and take it to their family and only give it to their children. This was some, an anomaly within the Jewish culture. Because this is the power of love. I don't know if there are some of you that will remember in the Jesus people days, but I'm a Jesus people guy. How many Jesus people do we have out here tonight? Man, I remember when I left San Diego and I moved up to the Calvary Chapel, moved into a house ministry where we, I lived in an old mayor's mansion on uh, Fifth Avenue, uh, in Santa Ana, I basically, you know, with about 40 other young men and women from all different backgrounds, from all different states, some of them had left drugs, and some of them had left rock and roll, and some of them had left prison, and we all got together and made a big family. And, you know, we just shared everything. I, I had a full-time job in the house ministry, and I, every week I would get my check and I would sign it over to the elder of the house and then I would get an allowance of $2 a week. How's that? So that's how we sustain everything and we loved what it, and it was just so beautiful. We were witnessing in that part of Santa Ana. There were some gangs in that area. I remember one night a guy jumped over the fence. He came in, he was drunk and he was ready. He was going to hit me. And I had, I had two pails of paint. I, I couldn't even put him down. And he's ready. To, and I just said, Jesus loves you like that. And he was, he rocked back. And he said, what did you say? I, and I was like, wow, it worked. <laughs> I said, Jesus loves you. And he said, well, yeah, I'm a Catholic. You know, I was like, well, that's good. I said, but do you know that Jesus loves you? So very, I put my paint cans down as he put his fist down and I started sharing the Lord with him. Within five minutes, his head was down, tears streaming down his eyes. And I led him in the sinner's prayer just to give his heart back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those were occurrences that just were happening. It, it was an explosion of love that was happening in those days. So I think that Barnabas, he was just a happy guy. Just a, he was laughing all the time. He was filled with the joy of the Lord and the, filled with the spirit. And he sold, he apparently had money. He sold his possessions. He brought it to the apostles' feet. Share this with anybody and everybody that needs it. Now there was a couple there, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, they realized, wow, everybody's talking about Barnabas. Everybody loves Barnabas. Everybody admires Barnabas. Wow, I'd like people to talk about us like that. So there's nothing wrong in one sense that they admired that this, there was a beautiful love, agape love that is sweeping. So the husband goes to his wife, honey, let's sell our land just like him. 
But then they conspire together that we'll sell it and we'll tell the church we gave them everything, but actually they held a portion of it back. And that was the mistake. So go to the next one, verses 3 and 4. The power and purity of the early church. Look what happens. So they come in and they say, hey, we sold our property. And we're giving all the money to this beautiful move and sovereign work of God. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, let me just tell you what's happening here, because the whole first part of the book of Acts is about Peter, the apostle Peter, the transformed life of Peter. Peter preached on Pentecost. Peter preaches after the layman gets healed. 5,000, probably 20, 25,000 people are now part of this local community. And all the people are selling everything and they're giving everything. And so this couple, hey, we sold our land and we give. And here it is, Peter, and we bring it to the apostles' feet. And Peter stops and looks at them and he goes, he receives a gift in the Bible that is called the word of knowledge. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And what I want to say is there is a spiritual supernatural gift that the Holy Spirit will give to a believer that is filled or baptized in his spirit where you look at someone and you know something about them that you should not be able to know. You don't know it naturally. You don't know it humanly. You know it spiritually and supernaturally. And that's what Peter did. Uh, Peter looked at him and he said, you're lying. And, you know, what's interesting is that when he said this, I, I don't know what, what this man was thinking, but he was probably just wanting, I want that adulation. I want that admiration. I, I want to be loved like Barnabas. But he lied about it. And what Peter was telling him is, look, uh, was it not your own? I mean, it's your own land. Did we, the church, come and tell you you're a Christian? God's moving in a powerful way and, and, and the Messiah has come. You need to go sell your land. And then you need to give all the proceeds, proceeds to the church. Did we say that to you? No. It was your land. Could you have kept your land? Yes. You, you sold it. You, guess what? You could have sold it and say, yeah, I'll give half to the church, but my wife and I are going to keep half of it. Yeah, that was yours to do. But you sold it, said you sold it for a certain amount, kept part of it back, came to me and said you give everything, and you just lied. You just absolutely lied. And now he's going to be confronted. This is something that the Holy Spirit will do. He gives a word of wisdom or he gives a word of knowledge, and now they're really going to be trapped. Now, I want to just make a very simple comment because this is a beautiful example. And people will say and even commentaries that, wow, it's like the, this is the early church communism. If I'm serious. The, the commentaries say, well, that's kind of what communism is. Everybody, nobody has private property. Nobody has their own stuff. Everybody shares equally. And for a brief moment in the history of the church, that was happening. But... Here's the difference between what was happening in the church then 
and the way that communism is practiced today. What was happening in the early church was that people of their own free will were saying, I'm going to let go of my house, let go of my property, let go of my money, and of my own free will because of my heart overflowing with the presence and the love of God. Or maybe they got healed, or maybe their child got touched, or maybe their son got delivered, and, and we, we want to trust in the Lord, and so we're going to give it and bring it as a free will offering. That's what was happening then. But that's very different from today, where somebody, whoever, the communist government comes and by force takes your land, takes your property against your will. You have no say in it. And then they get it and they distribute it as they will. Do you see the difference between those? So that was what was happening then. And it's different from what's happening today and even around the world. So let's go to the next few verses. The fear of the Lord now comes upon them because of what happens and what Peter does. And I want to just say I believe the fear of the Lord is coming to our church, not only Maranatha Chapel, but to this generation because of what God is going to begin doing in a very special way. His presence will be manifest and known. So beginning in verse 5, it says, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Peter says, it was your land. You could do whatever you want with it. You could have held it all back. You could have held half of it back. But you said one thing and lied. And notice Peter, he says, you didn't lie to me, Apostle Peter. You didn't lie even to the church. You just lied to the Holy Spirit, Adonai, the Lord God. You lied to God. And when Ananias, hearing those words, he fell down and breathed his last. Wow, he died. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, I want you to note this. Peter did not pronounce a death sentence on Ananias. He didn't say, dude, you lied to the Holy Spirit, I kill you in Jesus' name, or whatever. God forbid, now listen, we laugh, but sometimes the church has taken the onus upon themselves, and it becomes cult-like when, you know, it's, they've got all the power and authority, and oh, you can, I'm going to curse you, or whatever. No, we don't curse people, we don't, we don't have life or death. You know, we can bless people, we can warn people, we can speak the truth, and if God gives you a word of knowledge, you can say, no, you just lied to the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know this. Peter did not kill the man. <laughs> and in one sense, it may have been, it's not even that God struck him that says there was no bolt of lightning or anything. It's just that the man froze. He might have just been exposed and humiliated. He, his heart might have seized up and he just had a heart attack and died. It could have been like that. Um, now, I will say this. How many of you are glad that God is not doing that today. I mean, how many of us have ever lied or wanted people to think we're more spiritual than we really are? And what if the Holy Spirit came in that way today? How many of us would, you know, fall over and die? That would not be fun. So here's the good news. God did this one time in the early church, and it was never repeated. Can I hear an amen? amen. Hallelujah. God is gracious. God is merciful. 
But when God would ever begin doing something brand new, like with Moses, like in the Old Testament, and then there was an Achan, or he would try to hold something back, or lie, or deceive, and they would be taken and death. It's like God was setting the groundwork for what the church was going to be. It was very pure, very special. And I'll tell you what, when Ananias fell over and died, probably the most surprised person in the whole place was Peter. <laughs> he didn't know the guy was going to die. He just said, he just received a word of knowledge. You lied. I know it. The Spirit just gave me the word. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And the guy, <laughs> and he falls over and he dies. And Peter's like, uh-oh, Wow. Can you imagine how everybody looked at Peter now, you know, with great respect? Now, I want to say this. A Christian can sin unto death. Listen very carefully. Because as we look at Ananias, what happened to him? Where did he go? Does this mean he was judged and went to hell? I don't believe so. I believe that it's possible that he was a believer and he knew the Lord, but he was compromised. He lied to the Holy Spirit. And God just in a severe mercy decided, your witness is done on earth. I'm just taking you directly to heaven. The Bible does tell us in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, there is a sin unto death. You can be a believer, and if you've compromised in some way in your life, and you die because of it, you might lose your rewards, but you're still saved by the amazing grace of God. We also have examples of believers in the New Testament being judged or falling asleep because they took communion in an unworthy manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. So the Holy Spirit, don't mess around with the Holy Spirit. Live in integrity and live in purity. Uh, and you don't want to be judged and taken home earlier than maybe what could have been your fulfilled earthly assignment. Can I hear an amen? amen. So after this, uh, in verse 6, it says, And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, verse 7, it says, Now, it was about three hours later. Now, by the way, they took him and buried him and did not invite his wife to the funeral. <laughs> she doesn't even know what happened to him. He just disappeared. And now, about three hours later, when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Hey, tell me whether you sold the land for this much. The same lie and hypocrisy that her husband had said. And so she said, yes, for so much. Gave the exact number as her husband. And then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Now Peter knew what God was going to do. Peter didn't do it, but God did it. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So there's no surprise what comes in verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard those things. <laughs> Can I hear an amen on that? <laughs> Woo! Great fear came upon them. No doubt. All right, look with me in verses 12 through 14. The power of the Holy Spirit is shown through mighty miracles. We read in verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord at Solomon's porch. And yet none of the rest dared to join them, 
But the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets. I want you to note here the power of the Holy Spirit is shown through miracles and unity. When the Holy Spirit purged the church of sin, power came in to the church. When we purge ourselves of sin and compromise, and when we get purified in our hearts and burn in fire for love and worship and praise, the power of God will begin to be manifest in his presence and miracles. And there will be great and mighty things that will take place. I, I just love how in the early church, there was so much purity, there was so much unity, there was so much of the presence of God, so many beautiful things that were happening. They were of one accord on Solomon's porch. Here we are on Solomon's porch. And the precious oil of unity was upon them. And then the church's reputation and growth. We read again, beginning in verse 13, it says, And yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. It doesn't say they were added to the church. They weren't added to Peter. They weren't added to the community. They were added to the Lord. I love that. We're added to the Lord. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And multitudes of both men and women. The Lord multiplied them. They just kept coming and coming and coming to the Lord, loving the Lord and being present with the Lord. So in closing, in verses 15 and 16, this is one of the most interesting stories and couple of verses in the entire book of Acts. In verse 15, it says, So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I love this. They brought the sick out into the streets. And listen, the people were so convinced of the reality and the power of what Christians believed that they thought their family and friends could be saved if just the shadow of Peter would walk through the street, his shadow would heal them. Now, I want to say this, that the Bible doesn't really go on to talk about the ministry of healing of shadow, you know, through shadows. But that's what people believed. Now, there is a place that says with Jesus, you remember the woman with the issue of blood? She snuck in through the, all the crowd pressing in, wanting to get close to Jesus, see Jesus, touch Jesus, be with Jesus. But she had an issue of blood and she snuck her way down amongst the legs, <laughs> finally reached out when he walked by and grabbed the tassel of his garment, his clothing, and she was immediately healed. Why? Because she said, I believe that if I just touch the tassel of his garment, I will be healed. So clothing, in a sense, represented, obviously, it's Jesus in there. But here's what I really believe. I don't believe that shadows heal or that clothing per se heals. What heals is faith. And as they were walking, when, because they believed that walking in the shadow of Peter would, I believe that God will touch me or heal me. 
I believe that the Bible says clearly that when we exercise faith, God moves supernaturally. It was their faith that brought the healing. It was their trust in the power of the risen Messiah, Jesus Christ, that through them, they could be touched and healed and made whole. Can I hear an amen on that? So that's what God did then. And that is what I believe that God is doing even in our day. And I believe that right now, you know, as we, we've been seeing miracles and healings on a weekly basis. And I feel like, and I'm going to close now. Uh, I feel like that, that really this coming, this next Saturday night with the Feast of Trumpets, I have some very pertinent things that I want to share with you because I believe that it is a dividing line that as we cross over this year's Feast of Trumpets, we are, it's like crossing a Jordan into a whole new land of the presence, the power, the miracles, deliverance, the workings of the Spirit of God. And the Lord has been speaking to me that he said, I'm going to begin manifesting my presence, not only with what's already been happening with some healings and miracles and deliverances, but he goes, it's going to go to a whole new level after Feast of Trumpets this year. Amen. Amen? So I want you to get ready for that. I want you to pray into that. I want you to just get your heart ready to believe and exercise faith. Because I believe that we are ready. The church is ready to enter a whole new manifest glory of the presence of the Shekinah glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because the king is on his way. He's coming. The signs are happening one after another. The bridegroom has been waiting for his bride and prepared a place for her, and he's coming soon. And I am waiting, yearning, listening for that trumpet call. But in the meantime, God is going to do great and mighty things in us and through us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.